In This Corner with Brian Campbell returns with the Pro Wrestling Edition. As we prepare the syringe with a birthday-sized injection of that unmistakable, untraceable, I might add, performance-enhancing audio. Yeah, the Brian Campbell, in fact, the voice that you hear. And yes, oh yes, it's my birthday week. Finally, I am, what? What am I? Finally, I am a man, right? Finally, I don't have the right button right now. Come after me! Oh, yeah. So in honor of the birthday on Wednesday and in honor of your boy BC taking the family on a bit of a vacay to celebrate, we have a very special edition of the show this week with a few special guests and a big reveal to boot. Don't worry, the Silver King will close the show updating you on what goes on this week from the likes of Raw, SmackDown, anything crazy out of G1 in Japan, of course. And even this week, our CBS Sports cohort, Jack Jorgensen, Jacko, will stop by for his ITC debut. Talk a little G1, as I mentioned, but specifically, I want to hit up that wild Impact Slammiversary card from Sunday night that had led many of you listeners to be lighting up my DMs in a way I couldn't refuse. We got to talk about that. It will also be a very special appearance by an old friend, a rival, a teammate, Stat Guy Greg. Because if anybody's going to come on and talk about Bret Hart, talk about a potential ITC screwjob, it's your boy, from BC's future and past. We're going to stir it all up in a big soup. But before we get into that and begin an episode that may go down in infamy, who knows? We'll see where this one goes. Let me remind you to do your duty, as always, when you're listening to the show. You know what I'm about to say next. If you hear something today that you like, if you see something, say something. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us that five-star review. It's the very least you can do. Write a nice couple words there. Subscribe. Tell a friend. On, on social media, whatever, on Instagram, what are you on? Hacker, life hacker, friendster. I don't even know what they're called anymore. I'm 40, guys. I'm old, all right? That's what I'm talking about. MySpace, whatever you got there. That's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to do one more thing, though. I want you to always get the best highlights and sports stories every morning in your inbox. Right when you wake up, you pull the covers over, you check them DMs. I want to check what's in that in-hole, in that inbox. And it should be the CBS Sports HQ newsletter packed with all the good stuff you need to see before you start your day. You want to see BC writing about the big UFC card this weekend, boxing, all that good stuff, any sport you want. Nick Costos, me, the rest of the gang will be there. Go to cbssports.com slash HQ daily to subscribe. Wow, a lot of business to get through right there on this weird, quirky BC is 40 episode. But I do have a co-pilot. It's, it's a man you know well. So let me welcome him in without any further ado to get the birthday party started. Say hello to the bad guy. Wow. He's my co-host. He doesn't like long intros, but that's just the way it is. He's the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey, now. I thought I was going to turn 40 before I got an opportunity. Wow. 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 That's the way it is, uh, Silver King. We got a lot to talk about today. Let's talk about, about Bret Hart. Maybe some things people didn't see coming. We're going to get to that in a second. Silver King, you know I'm knee deep. I'm, I'm neck deep into this G1. I'm not up to speed where I should be, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But you know how I watch the G1 and how I watch it really, really easily. Even an old guy now like me who who paying with a credit card at the pumps can be a problem now with these new computers and phones. Now, I'm not that old. I'm, not, I'm kidding. But it's the Roku, and it's the Roku generation. It's the Roku revolution, if you will. <laughs> okay? I, you know, it's that easy. I mean, am I all in on the Roku? Yes, I am. Adam told me to get it, to put away that old device. Adam, it's working out, and I think a lot of our listeners are starting to take notice, too. Oh, that's great. And you got football season coming up. There's every reason in the world to get a Roku streaming device. 
start as low as $29.99 a month. You're able to stream hundreds of thousands of TV shows, movies, games, sports analysis. CBS Sports HQ app, it's on there. WWE Network is on there. And I even had a couple listeners reach out to me in the last week to ask me how to get NJPW World on their Roku. I gave them some advice about hooking up their phones. It's fantastic. High definition. Mwah. Perfection. All you need to do. You go to Roku.com, R-O-K-U.com. Answer a couple questions on their quiz if you if you want help determining which one's right for you. They have HD versions, sorry, HDR versions, 4K versions. Start streaming today with Roku. Thank you very much, Adam, for that. Thank you to the listeners. Thank you to America. God bless America. Absolutely knock. Adam, this is a little bit of a weird show because we're recording half of it early before I leave, part of it after, some of it in between. But the main selling point here, the main stickling point at this moment is our interview three weeks ago with the great Bret Hart. And you know, I say the word the great because he really won me over and we went deep on that 40 minutes with Brad, probably another 40, you and I talking it up. And naturally, which can happen when you get a big ticket guest on your podcast, especially one who talks as freely as Brett. Other outlets start picking it up. It starts going on the aggregation circuit, right? Across the wrestling websites, to the sports websites. Adam, even Fox News, not Fox Sports, Fox News picked up Bret Hart. Really throwing some 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 high heat at his sister-in-law, Dr. Martha Hart there, among other things. Sports Illustrated contacted me, Justin Barrasso, to do a story on it. It got some, it, it, it extended and it reached and it went some places. That's fine. It happens, right? I didn't expect what happened next, which we didn't really talk about the last few weeks, that Dr. J. Martha Hart, Ph.D. herself, would respond with a public statement, Globe Newswire, sent to everyone in the world that can receive that, that she was unhappy with Brett. Did you happen to read that? Yeah, I did. Absolutely. Where she says she doesn't want Owen's daughter and son to have anything to do with any of the Hearts or WWE or the Hall of Fame and she even kind of threw a shot at us, by the way, for being willing to publish said comments. And I will say this in response to Jay Martha Hart. We didn't reach out to her. Maybe in the in the world of journalism, we could have. Maybe we should have. This story, Brett's ripped her before. The comments are out there. He was just specifically, let's say, extra charged up this time around. So, Jay Martha Hart, we got nothing against you. I disagree with not letting Owen in the Hall of Fame. But she put out a very public statement to which Bret Hart, on his official Facebook page that a lot of people saw July 19th last week, I thought he had a good stance and a good defense. He stood up to Martha and said, what I said wasn't rude and unprofessional and all these other words you said. You don't understand what it's like to come from Calgary, be in a wrestling family, blah, blah, blah. Outside of what Brett uh, said about essentially calling her a squarehead, Adam, I could kind of agree with what he's saying, right? He lost a brother. Everybody lost somebody in this Owen death, and he lost a brother. He wants to protect his brother's legacy. We thought it ended there. Adam, it did not end there. No, it didn't. And since you're going to break the fourth wall about the production of this week's episode, I'll go ahead and let you guys know that we reached back out to Bret Hart to conduct an interview, separate interview, separate subject. We're doing an extensive unrelated story that we're going to be publishing on CBSSports.com ahead of SummerSlam this year. And moments after I emailed him, Bret replied and absolutely ripped us, saying he only heard us talk, quote, absolute shit 
unquote, about him. He claimed that he gave us a great interview, which he did. I think we can both agree about that. But that we never promoted the documentary once, and he has no desire to work with us ever again, calling us, quote, total bums and, quote, jerk-offs of the highest order. Wow. Before saying, F you all. So by the time Bret Hart stepped on the In This Corner podcast, he had apparently already made up his mind. In the end, his actions spoke volumes. Let's cut right to the chase. Three weeks ago, here on the In This Corner podcast, did you or did you not screw Bret Hart? Some would say I screwed Bret Hart. Bret Hart would probably tell you I screwed him. I look at it from a different standpoint. I look at it from the standpoint that In This Corner did not screw Bret Hart. Let's get that out of the way. Adam Silverstein certainly did not screw Bret Hart. CBS Sports did not screw Bret Hart. Nor did Brian Campbell screw Bret Hart. I truly believe Bret Hart screwed Bret Hart. And he can look in the mirror and know that. I'm sure in some parts of the country right now, there is a collective groan that you are not accepting responsibility. That you orchestrated the situation. And the fact that people are not going to understand what you mean by Bret Hart screwed Bret Hart. So what do you mean by that? Well, I certainly take full responsibility for any decision I have ever made. I've never had a problem doing that. Not that all of my decisions are accurate. They're not. But when I make a bad decision, I'm not above saying I'm sorry and trying to do the best about it that I can. Hopefully, like over time, the batting average is pretty good. I make more good decisions than I do bad decisions. As far as screwing Bret Hart is concerned, there is a time-honored tradition in the wrestling business. That when someone joins your podcast to promote something, that they show the right amount of respect to the wrestling fans, journalists, and podcasters who helped make you that superstar. That you own up to the words you said on that podcast. It's a time-honored tradition, and Bret Hart didn't want to honor that tradition. And that's something I would have never, ever expected from Bret. Because he is known somewhat as a traditionalist in this business. It would have never crossed my mind that Brett would not want to show the right amount of respect to the ITC hosts and listeners who helped him make who he is and what he is today and realize that he gave honest answers about everyone he was asked about on this show. So it's only right that we as hosts of the ITC would be as honest in our analysis of his answers, even if that means calling him bitter or pointing out how willing he is to throw others under the bus when asked. Nonetheless, Adam. That was Brett's decision. Brett screwed Brett. Some folks along the internet know that in 2016, you appeared on the Cheap Heat podcast during a multi-episode Great Brett Hart debate in which you called Brett Hart overrated and declared him the 16th best performer in wrestling history. So I'm sure there are those at home saying you set him up when he joined the ITC. Did Bret Hart ask you to be on the podcast or did you ask him to join in this corner? This was a joint decision and it vacillated somewhat as well when we weren't making the decision. It was a joint decision from both Bret and yourself, the Silver King. And ultimately what happened was the two of you got together and orchestrated the opportunity for him to promote his 350 days documentary and answer my questions about his career. I felt that 
you know, for business reasons, if Bret Hart and the rare opportunity to interview him, asking him the tough questions was justified. And I felt for creative reasons and the fact that in my mind, Bret has always been second banana in his mind to Shawn Michaels, who, quote, stole his spot. So for financial and creative reasons on my part, two of us got together and decided, okay, let's do the very best we can for you, Brett, during the interview. But afterwards, you and I, Silver King, the two of us, orchestrated a very honest discussion about Brett, which I believe is the most honest in all of wrestling podcasting. And that's giving him 40 minutes to speak his mind and giving us the same to react to it. So I felt from a personal standpoint, the least I could do for Brett is to help him help himself, to give him a chance to speak honestly against some of the negative stereotypes even I held against him. And if he won me over, I wanted to be the first person to congratulate him personally, and I was. But from a business standpoint, I don't really want to lose Brett. That was a great opportunity. I really didn't want to lose Brett. Certainly the bitterness of Brett's reaction to the interview and Martha's comments could never be more prevalent. He sends a spiteful email and spits in our faces. Shortly thereafter, he is destroying the good name of the ITC podcast. Were you prepared for what happened after the interview? I was disappointed in Brett when he emailed us. Very disappointed. I sustained emotional injuries as a result of it with vision problems to this day. I'll get over it. I didn't think it was the right thing to do, but Brett seems to be crowing about that. I can only imagine that he feels proud of striking us over email. It wasn't a question of confrontation because even at 40 years old this week, I dare say that perhaps things would have been a bit different if there were a confrontation had he said these things on the podcast. I allowed Brett to strike me over email. I'd hope that he wouldn't. I'd hope that we could sit down and try to work things out as gentlemen. That's what I really hope for. That's not what happened. Have you considered having Brett back on the podcast as a remedy for that situation over the email? I've considered it. I, I think those options are still available. I'm not pursuing it at the moment. I guess maybe it all depends on Brett as to whether or not I do that. If you were only a story writer and his appearance was the final chapter in the life story of Bret Hart on the In This Corner podcast, how would you have preferred Bret would have written that final chapter of the story in the email he sent the show? As a storyteller, I would have hoped that Bret's email would be a dramatic one, right? Like, I would hope that Bret's email would be one that would give him dignity, that would give him the poise to state that he was maybe the greatest guest on the In This Corner podcast ever in terms of his appearance. And one way of being able to give back to the podcast, being able to give back to those ITC listeners who helped him achieve the level of success that he, is, that he has, is it's, like I said earlier, a time-honored tradition. For argument's sake, this may have been the most revealing interview that Brett ever had in his life. So Brett should take ownership of the words that he said. And in that small moment of defeat... Brett would have stood straight up and shown the whole world what a true champion, both as a human being and as a wrestling persona, he really is. If I'd been Brett, if I were writing that email, I could see Brett after a podcast that created that many headlines saying to the ITC, okay, you got the best of me. 
I want to congratulate you. I want to stick my hand out and congratulate you. And furthermore, I want everyone in the wrestling locker rooms around the world and those who consume podcasts to listen to my appearance on the In This Corner and to show for those who follow in my footsteps the way a time-honored tradition is done. To show every individual, every secretary, everyone in CBS Sports and the In This Corner podcast who counts on me to do the right thing that I was there, that I was a great guest and maybe the greatest guest the show has ever had. And I went out the way a very true champion would go out. Are you able to step back and objectively look at this thing and evaluate what you said about your friend or perhaps your former friend? In Bret Hart, the human being, and have sympathy for this man? Sympathy? I have no sympathy for Bret whatsoever. None. I have no sympathy for someone who is supposed to be a wrestling traditionalist, not doing the right thing for the business that made him, not doing the right thing for the fans, the journalists, and the podcasters who helped make him what he is today. Bret made a very, very selfish decision with that email. Bret is going to have to live with that for the rest of his life. Brett screwed Brett. I have no sympathy whatsoever for Brett. I mean, look, that's, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm trying to go as far as being stone cold here. If you put the letter S in front of Hitman, you've had my exact opinion of Brett Hart. But Adam, let's be really honest when we look back at what Brett sent us. We put over his show, the movie, which is a fantastic movie, 350 days, like four different times. Anyone that grew up watching wrestling in the 80s and 90s will love that film. You know what we also put over, Adam? We put over Bret Hart for about 40 minutes. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. I mean, there are certain things that, if you're selectively listening to the interview, that you take away. We called him bitter. He was. You responded that he was your 16th best wrestler of all time. And if you're someone like Bret Hart who believes that he is the greatest of all time, you're going to take that the wrong way. But he claims that he heard our interview with him and that we, what did I say, talked shit about him? What was, what was the quote I had here? Oh, a- talked absolute shit about him afterward. And if you're a reasonable listener or a reasonable person, you have to understand that people in our position are going to tell you the good and the bad. What we did do extensively was put over how great the interview was, how honest he was, how much we loved having him on the show. And we even wrote two stories on CBSSports.com about the interview. And in neither one did we at all sensationalize the words that he said on the interview. In fact, you went so far as to put them in context, which was important and which is something that others did not do. So it is of my opinion that one of two things happened. Someone got in his ear that we did him wrong. And he didn't listen to the interview or he did listen to the interview and is just somehow so warped and unable to accept praise with criticism that he only heard the bad, ignored the good and just didn't listen to the rest of the show. Yeah, I think that nails it because it's like (laughs) I wish he actually if he had heard it like he says he has noticed how we turned around after hearing him, how I sided with much of his honesty for a lot of these things that are wrong for the business and for the way he's been handled after really hearing him break that down. You can't do the fun Brett screwed Brett anymore. You kind of got to go, you know, Vince, Vince was partially in line for screwing Brett there in Montreal in the Montreal screw job, but in the ITC screw job 
as I said, Adam, Brett screwed Brett, and it was sad to see. Sad to see an, an old wrestler respond to that when we only want to give him the praise. But you know what? If I would have sat there and after being not really a Brett guy my whole life and not respectfully said that after the interview to the listeners, said, look, not a Brett guy, but he won me over here, then I, I would have been not being real. And the ironic thing is, we praised him for how real that interview was, how real his style in the ring was, how real he's always been. So guess what I was after that interview? Completely real. So, you know, it goes back to outside of CM Punk and Steve Austin and maybe Stu Hart. The best wrestler will come out with his hand raised. Uh, there's nobody else he really likes, and it's it's kind of sad to see because I'm not saying we were going to go get coffee together at Tim Hortons, but, you know. I was kind of team Bret Hart for a while there, you know? Yeah, and what's interesting is the story that we're doing, which I'm purposely not going into detail about, We I broached it with him um, immediately after the interview came out. So before there was any aggregation, you know, sensationalization and reaction to it. And he was gung-ho to do this interview. He was very excited. It's about someone that he felt close to and felt that he could share stories of. And the fact that we now don't get his perspective on that because he feels that we wronged him, it's unfortunate. And I, I, I'm happy to admit, not happy to, but able to admit when I feel like I've wronged someone or done something poorly. Um, and this is not one of those cases. Yeah, I, if anything, I say sorry to Dr. J. Martha Hart, right? Like, hey, yeah. you know, I mean, Brett said some crap and we printed it, but we didn't sensationalize it. It's not about us in the end. Brett's going to do Brett. That's what he does, Adam. That's that's what he does, right? Twice now. Brett. Screwed Brett. All right. With all this ITC screw job stuff going on around us, you know there's only one man I can really bring in here, Adam, who has the right perspective to maybe, maybe put us in our place, maybe get the side of Brett Hart to finally get some respect around here. And I think that I deserve a little respect around here. I, I think maybe you do. So let's get right to the bottom bit. Let me bring in my old friend co-host, sometimes rival in the great Bret Hart debate, the great Gregory Hyde stat guy, Greg, the physically large, the physically strong, the physically congested. Greg, thank you for crossing the stream and entering in this corner. Of course, of course. I'll be wherever Brett needs me to need me to go. Well, you know, your background dust up over here. Your background as a lawyer may help you. You may be representing Bret Hart right now in the court of public appeal right now, okay? Well, yeah, I heard there was a little dust-up going on over here, so I had to come over and see see if I can't sort this out. All right, let's get to the bottom. But, Greg, I assume you, well, you of course, interviewed Bret Hart last year, I believe it was, around right before SummerSlam. Fantastic interview from Cheap Heat. Best part about it, of course, was you didn't know Bret was going to be there in the studio when you walked in. Great moment. One of the mark-out moments of the century. Me, I'm not on the Bret Hart side of the line. I'm a Sean guy. I, I'm a whatever guy. I get Bret a couple weeks ago. Did you hear the interview when he entered this corner? Um, I did hear the interview, and I got to be honest, I didn't think it was that controversial. I'm surprised um, that it blew up to the level that it did. It was just, you know, Bret being Bret. Um, sometimes he can be brutally honest, but I think people focus on the first part, you know, the the brutal part, and they they overshadowed the part of, you know, he's just speaking his truth. 
and that's, you know, to be honest, Greg, what I put over after he got off the air when I, you know, I had to keep it real. I'm never a big Brett guy, but I got to admit I, that wasn't for show. He won me over in that interview because he stuck to his principles. He kept it real. All that good stuff, whether, you know, I mean, he's taking shots at Martha. It is what it is, but he kept it real for what his version of the truth is. So, Greg, we revealed on the show that Brett did reach out to us and be like, essentially, F you guys. Who screwed Brett here? Did ITC screw Brett, or did Brett screw Brett? Uh, well, see, I don't think ITC or Brett screwed Brett. I think the IWC screwed you both because uh, Interesting. He, he he didn't really, like I said, I heard the interview, and I don't think he really went at Martha. I think he, like I said, he told his truth. He feels like his brother uh, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame and deserves to be recognized. And he didn't say anything new on the Owen front. You know, that uh, even Mark Henry addressed this at, at the Hall of Fame speech. Um, you know, Martha's the person that everybody needs to go through if they want the WWE and uh, Owen Hart and his wrestling fans to have a real connection in that way. So Brett mentioning Martha, I don't think was um, in any way out of line. And I don't think you guys giving him the form to do that was in any way out of line. But I do think that, you know, in the aftermath of what happened, had I not heard the interview myself, if it was up to the headlines and, you know, the, the different sheets and what they reported, he said, and, you know, pulling quotes out of context, then, yeah, I think it would be accurate to say he, he took shots at Martha he might have crossed the line, but hearing what he said myself, um, I don't think that that's what happened. And hearing you guys report it, I don't think that's what you. I don't think that's what you put out there. That's you. You guys basically received energy that should have gone to somebody else um, because it got spun out of control. See, that's what I. That's my contention here. I feel like the story and the quotes that Brett gave us got sensationalized by others and. He, I don't necessarily know that he listened back to the interview, which he claims he did. I think others just told him what happened and what we said after the fact. I mean, his response to us was that we talked, quote, absolute shit about him. Uh, he ripped us. He said we didn't promote uh, the documentary that he got involved in. Um, and we called us total bums and jerk offs of the highest order. So I thought that that response from Brett to us is either him being bitter and upset that you know his comments got blown out of proportion by others, or he didn't actually hear the interview and the aftermath of it, and rather just took others' word of, hey, this is what these guys said about you after the interview. Well, Greg is yeah, not officially I mean, that... the legal counsel for Brett. Let's just say that. So, you know, they have not spoken about this situation. But, Greg, you know my history talking about Brett. So in light of Adam's question right there, did me giving my side of maybe not been a big Bret Hart fan might be the 16th best wrestler in the history. That's okay though. Would that be enough to warrant an F you all email? Maybe not an F you all, but definitely uh, an F you Brian Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest though. I mean, you, you have your, your take on Brett and if he did here, uh, like you said, that he's the 16th, best in your opinion or, or anything like that, which I don't think you said. I think you kept it very respectful. But, I mean, if he was able to, to listen back to the great Bret Hart debate, 
um, maybe he owed you one. And, and if that's the case, <laughs> then, you know, there's nothing that Adam or I or anybody can do to stop you from, from getting what you have coming to you. That's called if the receipt, you Greg. One, then, you know, that's a receipt, right, in the business right there? That, <laughs> exactly. If he owed you one, then it is what it is. All right. I will follow up. I will follow up and say Brian did say that in the aftermath. He said, you know, we, we were talking about how he opened our eyes to a lot of things. Because Brian and I are very much on the same wavelength about Brett in terms of I'm with Brian. Sean was better, and we don't need to get into that whole debate right now. But Brian did come back and say, I have him ranked 16th best of all time, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think we both did say that some of his comments came off as bitter. But if you're Brett Hart, you need to know that in interviews that you conduct, when you answer questions the way that you do, you, you sound bitter. Well, I mean, that's true. And, Greg, this is a good spinoff to you on Brett, the human being, post-wrestling career and the public profile he puts out there. Because I found it very refreshing that he was so truthful on everyone. And, by the way, he was truthful enough to tell me to F off and I'm a jerk-off. So he was really, really truthful on everything he believes. What's your take <laughs> on both Brett as the human post-career and how we receive him as being either bitter and hates everybody or not. What, where do you sort of sit on all that? Yeah, I don't think he's that bitter. I think, like I said, he's just brutally, brutally honest. Um, and listen, sometimes when he, when he speaks about his colleagues and the way he's experienced things in, uh, in the business, it's tough to hear. And it comes across as bitter because everybody's so busy playing nice. And he's not worried about his position with the company or with anybody personally. And he just tells it like it is. Um, I mean, I always agree with everything that he says, but I, I do appreciate that he tells it like it is and that it comes from his, his perspective. And, um, and honestly, too, like his experiences in a way have, like they freed him up to, to do that. You know what I mean? Like he... He's lost so many friends in this business. Um, he's been through things in this business that, you know, as much as a lot of wrestlers can relate to each other, his experience is really unique to him. And from the screw job to the way his career ended, um, to the stroke. And Brett just has an outlook on life that I don't think anybody really can appreciate without completely walking in his shoes. And so when he says and does some things that like, it looks weird to us, and it's easy for us to say, you know, he's bitter, he's jaded, or this and that. But I honestly think he's just free. He just doesn't, not that he doesn't care, but um, he's just free. He's free to say what he wants. He's free to feel how he feels, and he's free to give his opinion without worrying about stepping on anybody's toes. Very well said there, Greg. And without pulling back the wounds and rehashing the great wars we've been through on the great Sean and Brett debate, which has fueled so many podcasts, so many art, cool, locker room cooler arguments, whatever you want to say. What's the one thing, though, Greg, even in you and I going back and forth through the years, that people like me who are on the Sean side or people like me who maybe don't have Brett any higher than 16th all-time, whether that's shtick or not, wherever you, you work out your top 10 or top 16. Much love to Harley Race at number five, by the way. What's the not one, number one oh, yeah. thing people like me are missing in the overall Bret Hart historical law of, of what this guy brought? I think, I, I don't know if it's willful ignorance or what, but he, he, Bret Hart was just, quite honestly, to me, um, the one guy in the 90s who really 
elevated the art form, and even not just in the 90s, but throughout his whole career, he was what you want a wrestler to be because he made wrestling what you want it to be. Like, you know it's a work. Um, we know that the matches are predetermined and that they're doing their best to take care of the guys in the ring, but he never gave you a wrestler voice when he spoke. So it made you feel like you were talking to a human being, person to person. And he always stepped in the ring and looked like he was either getting his butt kicked and taking the worst beating he could take or dishing out the the toughest beating that he can. If you think about some of his wars with um, Stone Cold Steve Austin in 96 and 97. And so even though we know what it is and we know it's fake, not fake, but scripted, he's the one who always, like without a doubt, every single time made it feel real. And that's, that's what you want. He's the one whose performances we could consistently um, get wrapped up in. That's very eloquent. And that's why, to me, he's, he's the GOAT. You know, about time on this show, Bret Hart gets the proper praise from that side of the fence. So, uh, Adam, I don't know if you have anything else Bret Hart related, but I did want to ask you something I didn't get to ask Bret, Greg. What are the what are the percentage odds that the Montreal, not the ITC screw job, that was a hundred percent a shoot. What are the percentage odds that the Montreal <laughs> screw job is actually a work? And that Brett and Vince are the two most brilliant people of all time. Because that moment, obviously, we don't have to go rehash it. It changed the business in many different ways for many different people. Give me a percentage conspiracy theory chance that that thing is a work. This is right in your wheelhouse, Greg. Conspiracy theory chance. I, I got to say 0% chance that it's a work. Just because, I mean, going back to what I said just now, if it, if it is, I'll never know and I'll never believe because that was the guy that made you believe that everything that was happening was was 100 percent um, the truth, whether whether it was in the ring or or on the mic or whatever. But um, it's just I don't I don't think so. I mean, I watched um, the rivalry interview that he did with uh, Jim Ross, him and Shawn Michaels, when the, the three of them sat down and spoke about their whole career and how it tied together, and it was just like. You could see tears, and not even Brett, like in Sean's eyes when he talked about, you know, the screw job and what happened and knowing that Brett didn't know and knowing what they were about to do and how remorseful he felt. So even if you set aside, you know, my feelings about, about Brett, you know, this is Sean sitting there just being True. like, you know, I don't have regrets on my career, but I think about what if that didn't happen and the, the magic we could have done if I could just trust Brett. And like those little things make me feel like it's not work because they carried it with them for so long. I mean, Vince seemed, Vince seemed to move on pretty quickly, but you know, <laughs> Brett and Sean carried it with them for so long. Well, Vince has no soul, and but that, that's well so said. And you said maybe nothing too much new came out of the ITC Brett interview, except for this, of course. Uh, to say for the record, I was not banging something. So just so you know. Greg, he was not banging Sonny for the record. No Sonny days. All right, but but that guy, Greg, your time is gracious. Before you get, yeah, we got to get into a much bigger, more important topic here, and that's something Adam and I tackled last week. Most podcasts did the news of Hulk Hogan being reinstated in the WWE Hall of Fame, and I'll give you a shout out. Last week's episode of Cheap Heat, you were right on, and you've been for many years and sort of saying, you know, I got to see 
a lot from Hulk before I'll begin to want to accept this. Heard your take on that. Can you give us a, a brief synopsis for anybody that didn't? From a man of color, from a large, strong, congested, sometimes man, what, how does this hit you? Knowing that speech, and by the way, when I gave my take last week, I didn't know of that speech where Hulk didn't take the blame in the locker room when he stared across from everyone, when he basically was like, you know, it's too bad I got caught. That's essentially was the the summarize, you know, the summarization of what he said. I mean, that the knife twisted back in my chest. Where were you at? Yeah, I mean, at this point, you know, there's nothing Hulk can do to to upset me more than what has happened, you know, more than when I found out. But it's just more disappointing now. Like, I I feel like he's just becoming more and more cowardly. Like, he's trying to he's trying to run from his responsibility and his um, involvement in this and paint himself out to be the victim, which I I don't think is the is the right way to go and um as far as them reinstating him like i didn't even know that he was out of the hall of fame i think we all found out that he was out when they reinstated him so there's nothing for anybody to do there but as far as welcoming him back into the company i i strongly believe that there's a lot more that he has to do and it has to start with for one um a real apology you know, uh, I didn't know that I was being recorded is not a real apology. And, um, you know, having him go to the locker room and basically warn them that people are always watching and that you should assume you're being recorded so that you can do the right thing is not the lesson. You know, the lesson is do the right thing all the time. The lesson is don't be racist. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, right. That's a great, cool. you know. Yeah. If, it's easy. By the way, yeah, Greg, I forgot, I am WWF contractually obligated to play this sound before we have this discussion. There is no racism here in the World Wrestling Federation. We don't allow it, we'll allow it under any circumstances. And that's the bottom line. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. But Greg, something Adam and I debated last week, and we didn't come up with a conclusion because we were you know, turned off by the timing and everything. Is there a way Hulk can become part of of programming again, play his character of aging hero on raw or pay-per-views or whatever, where it could work. I mean, like I, I had said last week, I don't want him managing big E or the new day or something. Like, don't do that. Just like, I don't think he should take like a beating in the ring from somebody just to hammer down that he screwed up. Like what can they do with him where it would be acceptable to everybody? Yeah. I don't think there's anything that he can do while he's alive. That'll clean it up. Cause I think in the aftermath, of it all, like he messed it up so bad with the way he handled it. Um, framing it as a mistake was not the right way to go about it. Uh, making himself be a victim was not the right way to go about it. Um, claiming that he was a product of his environment in the aftermath as a, as an excuse was not the right way to go about it. Um, he just did so much to, to muddy it up that I don't think there's anything that he can do I like not that there's nothing he can do, but I don't see him doing it is the thing. Like I don't see him um really facing these communities that he that he um hurt or that he insulted and you know, sitting in in his I don't want to call it a mistake, but sitting with his actions and owning them and being like, you know, I did do this, it is wrong, I understand why it's wrong, I can understand why you feel this way. 
what can I do to help out instead of what he's been doing, which is like he stuck his head in the stands for a few years. He's like, all right, I behaved. Can you guys let me out? It's like, I don't know. You didn't run anything. Like, what would you do when it was over? He's like, oh, I said sorry. You guys want me to say sorry, right? Like, no, we want you to to be sorry. We want you to be remorseful. Don't just say it. And he isn't, and he hasn't been. Yeah, he's playing a character. That's, I mean, that's who Terry is, right? That's the hard part when you're a Hulk protector. Even when you meet Hulk and interview him, and obviously he's charming. He turns on the character, but you get the feeling when he retells the story of how he slammed 2,000-pound Andre and tore every muscle in his body. I mean, you know, you get the feeling it's just a big character. Uh, Greg, does this take Roddy Piper off the hook for half blackface from WrestleMania uh, ten, uh, 6? I'm sorry. Or is this uh, – are we, we're not going to compare sins here. Because that's pretty egregious. I don't think Hardy Piper was. I don't. That was that was wild. But I don't. It was only wild. I guess looking at it after the fact. I. I feel like when I saw it live growing up, I didn't think too much, too much of it. Honestly, that's fair. So Roddy Piper has really never been on the hook for me for that. Um, But yeah, Hogan is all the way on the hook. So (laughs) Hogan is 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 right there, especially because like that wasn't that wasn't the character. That was the man behind the character, like in a private moment. He went through in court and like that was his argument that that was not the character that that was. And so he has to own it. And even if even if you want to say that that was the character, then like he can't come back playing that character either because that was supposed to be like fight for the rights of every man is in the lyrics (laughs) of the theme song. Yeah, fight for the rights of most men. Like it's over. Oh, man. Hey, Greg, you do the Black Power rankings every week on Cheap Heat. Is there a uh, State of the Union synopsis you can give me in right now, July 18th, how WWE is doing in promoting and presenting wrestlers of color? Adam and I talk on the show a lot. They don't do enough of it. There's not enough black champions. There's not enough anybody but white champions. And maybe that's a historically negative slant toward WWE uh, from the, the from the loaded roster they have, including many people of color. Like, is it acceptable? Are we moving in the right direction? Um, is it acceptable that they don't have any, very many black champions? I, I don't know. I don't think so. I think so, but um, at the same time, I don't want to see them, you know, shuffling around the same few people. You know, like the New Day is a great tag team. They're right there. Um and it's going to be tough to argue that they didn't, that they missed the opportunity with the New Day with Money in the Bank. But I do feel like they did. You know, that would have given them something new to do. That would have been fresh. I don't think Braun necessarily needs the briefcase. Um, Agreed. Absolutely. So to see the New Day with that briefcase would have been something fun. Um, you know, Sasha Banks, what is she doing? You know, Naomi, where has she been? So I, I guess... From where I sit, it does look like they could do more. But at the same time, there's a lot a lot of boxing stuff all around, you know. Um, their roster is real, especially when you think about um, NXT and, you know, NXT UK and 205 Live. Um, there's a lot that can be done and should be done. And uh, they definitely have the talent to do more. But, you know, there's a lot of good talent on the roster too, which is what which is what makes it so tough. It's my contention that it's one of WWE's current biggest problems and historically one of the company's 
um, I don't want to call it problems, but biggest ills is that they have not promoted and um, pushed properly the extremely talented people of color, if you want to use that phrase, uh, that they have on their roster. Yeah. And it goes to, like, New Day, I know you mentioned, there's there's no good reason right now that they've just gone through years of tag team championships and they want to keep them together for merch. And for all these good reasons, that's fine. There's no reason Kofi and Big E can't have singles runs and even Xavier Woods as well. Um, Sasha, every time she's won the title, she's dropped it in between six and 20 days later. They they just won't go all in with anyone. And they won't even go parsh- partially in with Big E, Kofi, guys like that. That. I mean, you mentioned Money in the Bank. You saw the reaction of the fans when Kofi was at the top of the ladder. They would have exploded. Yeah. Can we yeah, get, we would have. And, can we know, get a push to Velveteen Dream, Greg? That guy might be the future then. That might be the answer to all this. He might be, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get my hopes up too much, though, because, um, <laughs> like Adam said, histor- historically it has been, it has been a problem. Like, you know, even Apollo Crews, uh, a guy like Apollo Crews, um, when he was signed, he was, I think, the highest paid NXT talent. Um, they brought him up to the main roster really quickly. And then we don't know what happened. You know, he's, he's with Titus O'Neil and Titus Worldwide seems to, be, seems to be working out, but not, it doesn't feel like it's living up to his potential of what he could be. You know, when he signed, I, I said, I see a future world champion, and now it's the way he's been used. I don't think anybody can see that. That's yeah, fair. And, and you can't. And we also can't just put all our hopes in the Velveteen Dream basket. Like, yeah, he's great, but we we shouldn't have to point out one guy who could possibly be the first Black WWE champion since The Rock. There should be five guys yeah. who, on both brand, you know, two on each brand, three on each brand, however many. There shouldn't be a limit. There should be plenty of dudes in the conversation at any given time for all the championships and throughout the entire roster. Greg, maybe if they trick Vince that Ricochet is really an Irishman named Rick O'Shea, there's a chance. <laughs> a, slight, a slight chance, but I, I think a McMahon can spot an Irishman, though, so it might, might not work. Oh, yeah, Greg. Hey, this is a deep discussion. We don't have enough deep discussions on this show. Greg, in closing, my shtick, my thing, my heart, my wrestling love these days Sadly, not usually what's going on in the walls of WWE. It's what's going on in New Japan Pro Wrestling and what I call the indie revolution, the revolution, if you will. It's the idea, Greg, and I know you guys talk about this to a degree on your show as well, that there's stuff going on outside of WWE that's so good that it's starting to become a legitimate number two competitor. Not commercially, because no one's touching the WWE millions and that stock price and the evaluation and all that stuff, but critically. It's making a move for our hearts, Greg, that there's stuff out there that's better. Adam and I are on opposite sides of this fence, just like you and I are on Brett and Sean. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not on opposite sides of the on fence. On the revolution? Yes, we are, Adam. Don't, don't try to come over on this. There's I no room the product for you. And, hold on. I watch, don't, don't mislabel me. I watch the product and enjoy it. I'm not ready to call it a revolution. That's the only All right. Thing. Well, Go. Greg, I'm saying right now, in my, in my time as a wrestling fan, this is the third revolution, right? The first was Vince launching WrestleMania and going national. The second was the Attitude Era. This is, right now, the, what's going on outside of WWE, a real-ass revolution. Are you with me? Are you watching the G1? Are you rubbing it on your gums and spreading it on your toast in the morning? Are you feeling what I'm feeling, Greg? I'm I feeling like I'm with Adam. I watch it, but I'm not ready to call it uh, a revolution. 
um, just yet. Don't get me wrong. You know, great talents in New Japan. Uh, ROH is about to run the Garden during WrestleMania weekend, which sounds crazy to say because um, MSG is basically like WWE's home turf. And WrestleMania weekend, for that to be their biggest week of the year and have a competitor in their house just sounds wild. But a revolution, though, I, I'm, I don't think I'm ready to call it that because, you know, as much as much as everybody else is doing well, like you said, it's so distant between one and two that it's it's crazy. And it, it doesn't have to be like that because let's be honest, um, Sinclair owns ROH and they have billions. That they company. got money, so yeah. If they wanted to... If they wanted to compete, they could, you know, um, Mark Cuban with Access TV and, you know, if they wanted to do more with um, NJPW, they could. So it seems to be that Vince is the only one, not only the only one investing, but the only one able to find other people to invest in what they got going on. And on top of that, he still has, you know, Seth Rollins, AJ Styles, Adam Cole, um, Kyle O'Reilly, The New Day, all these incredible talents under the WWE banner. So WWE is just a monster. Uh, as much as we enjoy what's happening on the indies, it's still it's still the indies. I don't think it's ready to call it a revolution just yet. Wow. Wow. Adam. Our man. Wow. He needs to see it before he can smell it and taste it and understand that it's, it's overcoming our lives. It's real. But he's hey, score one for Adam Silverstein side of the fence on this one. All right. You know, you guys needed you needed more people on that side. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Greg, you've well, you been... got a good one, Adam. Yeah. Yes, you did. Yeah. I mean, come on, Greg, you've been great with your time. I appreciate it. It's great having a reunion. I don't think we've ever even crossed swords at all in any of these since. uh and the you know the great. I know this is the first this is the first crossover right here. I love it. I love. I mean, if Cheap Heat was the the lineage was a faction, it might be the Four Horsemen. So who does that make you, Greg? Well, the Four Horsemen had what like seventy two members. So I got I got I'm not Benoit. <laughs> <laughs> You're not Paul Roma. You're better than that. Honestly, I, I might be on. You might be, might be you on. Might, you might be the enforcer. I like to fashion myself a Barry Wyndham. In the lineage of this, I don't know what that makes Shoemaker. Whatever, who cares? It's great times. Great having you, Step Guy, Step Guy Greg. They can follow you on Twitter. It's still at Step Guy Greg, correct? Yes, at Step Guy Greg on Twitter and Instagram. Cheapied every week, as we already know the the originators of violence. Uh, Greg, thanks so much for joining us. Do you have any message to your fans that are across the street to listen to this this week? Stay mage and enjoy yourself. All right, Adam. A lot of wrestling going on in this world. we got the Bret Hart stuff behind us. You know I want to get a little G1 update, but I want to go a little bit deeper, like I mentioned off the top, with my cohort and colleague and yours, Northeast Pennsylvania's own Jacko Jack Jorgensen. My friend, welcome to the In This Corner podcast from CBS Sports, editor and writer. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, yeah. I couldn't have introduced you any more awkwardly than that, but you're here, Jack, and that's what matters. And Jack... I've been getting DM lit up for Sunday night's Impact Wrestling Slammiversary 16 show, which I did not watch live. I was unable to find after the fact to try to legally watch it. I've seen a million clips, but I noticed on my timeline on Twitter that you did watch this show live, that you were all over. Essentially, tell me if I'm wrong, 
Impact's version of WrestleMania? I actually was. I took one for the team, so to speak. And I was home early enough last night where I said, you know what? I'm going to turn this on. I'm going to watch it. I usually watch two Impact pay-per-views a year. Well, now they only have two. But generally, I, I only watch just Slammiversary and Bound for Glory. I don't even keep up with the TV. Uh, well, but I decided to turn it on last night. And let me just say right off the bat, all of the hype that it, they're getting on Twitter, they deserve it, rightfully. That show last night was one of the best wrestling shows I've seen all year. Wow. And it, that, that was one of the best Impact Wrestling shows that company in their entire existence since 2002 has put out. That was a phenomenal job by that company last night. All right, that's what everybody on my timeline was saying. Like I said, my DMs are filled with people saying, BC, you got to talk about this this week. I've seen a million clips, Jack, but I'm going to certainly rely on you as Adam will for for how we go through this. But let's just talk for a second at where Impact's at. I DVR them. I'm multi-episodes behind. But under Don Callis and Scott DeMore right now, I've said it on the show a bunch of times. It's really fun to watch, especially with guys like Austin Aries and Pentagon Jr. or whatever we're calling him, this version of him in, in Impact right now at the top of the card. And also Sammy Callahan's heel work. Every time I watch Jack, and believe me, this is far down the end of the food chain in terms of the time I have per week to watch wrestling. Like I hope to fit in 205. I hope to fit in all the G1s. I don't usually get to Impact, but when I do, it doesn't disappoint. Would you agree that that's where the product is right now? trending upward overall yeah it, last night had the potential i mean obviously we we yet there's a long way to go for this company because there have been so many setbacks especially over the course of the last decade that callus and demore do have a lot of work to do but so far they're they're doing the right work they're forging relationships with other companies they're forging relationships with people like lucha underground to get guys like phoenix and pentagon in here to do work for their shows um, they're get, the most important thing. They're getting out of Orlando. I've said for the longest time they had to leave Walt Disney World. It wasn't working. Given the you know, it, basically, you weren't getting wrestling fans in there. What you were getting was people who were roaming around Disney World that were offered free tickets to a wrestling show. I've heard from people that three quarters of the building didn't even know what they were watching. They were just there for a free show. <laughs> it's like when I went to Universal but, Studios in 1993 and I watched an episode of Clarissa Explains It All being taped. It was a you know great moment in my youth, but I didn't know what the heck was going on. Well, let's not let's not that, act like they're that far away from that right now. I mean, I, I, they, I know I understand what you're saying that they need to get better and they are on that process. But I've seen plenty of stuff today online. This is the you know it's not the Monday after Raw, okay? But it's the Monday after Slam Anniversary. And they're doing like buy one ticket, get one for $5, free tickets if you went to see someone at some show uh, to their impact tapings today. So I understand that the, the ring product is better, but I think they are leaps and bounds away from actually mattering, if that makes sense. Well, no one's saying that. They, have, they are. I, yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. What I'm saying is last night, the show and the buzz that it got on the internet, which we know, like the internet for professional wrestling is not the end all be all. We, we know that it, it, it's minute, but Impact Wrestling and the position they're in at this point, any little thing can help. So the buzz that that show generated last night was a good starting point for them. Now, where they go from here, of course, that's up to them. That's a, but, I mean, Callis and Damore, they seem to be on the right track right now. So, like I said, we'll see. But last night, if anything, it was a good starting off point for them to get people to say, once again, like the 2005, 2006, 2007 era, like, 
hey, I kind of have to pay attention to what Impact Wrestling is doing. That's a fair way to say it. I think it's the best we've seen the product, certainly since that t- summer of 2016 when they got hot under Billy Corgan. You had the Hardys doing their thing. You had so, you know, a handful of guys that were really working at a high level from, from uh, you know, Lashley to Moose and across the board there. At least if we're back to that level, then like you said, it's something else to watch. And I like that product in 2016 outside of what the Broken Universe was doing. It felt simple. It's some of the things that I like about NXT. It's just basic booking. It's not hard. It's not bad. It's not overly good. It's just basic, easy-to-swallow booking. I feel like they're still doing that, but they're adding those extra firecrackers of the of the Lucha, of now the weapons, and I, and, and I was intrigued by what I saw. Here's, here's what really stood out from that show last night. It's something we harp on, especially with WWE a lot. You know what that show had last night, top to bottom? storytelling yes every single match had storytelling. now like i tap the card right here and i could do this quick the the opening match impact versus johnny impact versus phoenix and ishimori and pd williams it was just a fun fatal four-way match to get the crowd into it get them hyped the second match tessa blanchard who they are touting as the future of their knockout division. and they're right we know how great tessa is defeats former women's champion alley so right off the bat shows i'm the future i'm coming Eddie Edwards defeats Tommy Dreamer. The story of that for the past few weeks has been basically Eddie Edwards has turned into that ECW version of Tommy Dreamer that feuded with, that had that famous feud with Raven because he became so obsessed with Sammy Callahan that Tommy Dreamer tried to make sure he didn't make the same mistake he did, so now they ended up feuding. And Eddie thinks Brian that Gates Tommy's be- sleeping with his wife, right? There's like a lot of next-level yeah, sort of the, layering in this. Which, which was like the Beulah aspect, so they worked that in too. Then Brian Cage defeats Matt Seidel for the X Division Championship. This is the one I think it's lost on most people because Brian Cage is almost the personification of what TNA wanted that X Division to be in the days where AJ Styles and Samoa Joe and those guys and Christopher Daniels were feuding over that championship. Like people have this um, misperception that the X Division is a cruiserweight division. It's not. The purpose of the X Division was that there are no limits, no weight limits, but the bigger guys can do things that most hospital wrestlers can't do. That's why Samoa Joe was integral in making that belt matter True. because he was a big heavyweight guy who could do things that most heavyweight guys can't. And that's what Brian Cage is. Um, really, the uh, all right. All right I want to stop you the there because I, spe- I got a specific match question for you. The one that lit up my Twitter the most and the one that got me the most DMs the most. So without any further ado. Kentucky Law! It absolutely is, John Cena, and it comes at him from our guy, Tristan Adelano at Analato underscore Tristan. I just put your name. Sorry about that, Tristan. I butcher everybody's name, all right? Keep putting up those signs for us, brother, that say, I'm bored, brother, at WrestleMania. I don't know how Tristan, what he does for a living, but that guy shows up in the 10th row at every single pay-per-view, and he reps our podcast. Jack, he says, BC, I know you've been giving Impact Wrestling shout-outs lately on the pod. Do yourself a favor and watch that Penta versus Callahan hair versus mask match from tonight's Slammiversary. It's a top 10 match of the year in how street fights should be in the year 2018. Jack, before you tell me about this bout, I couldn't find it online to rewatch it outside of a couple clips. But what I saw was the lead-in video that summed up the last few months of the Impact shows that I'd miss. This was like brilliant, almost Attitude Era stuff. Sammy Callahan dressing up, unmasking Penta, then dressing up as it in in the mask to beat up his brother Ray Phoenix. Like this was really grimy stuff. 
was this match potentially a, a match of the year contender in 2018? Or is, is our guy Tristan, you know, on the glue a little bit too much? Where are we at here? I'm not going to, I'm not going to go so far as to put it as a match of the year type candidate, but he is right in the respect that if you're going to do a hardcore, I don't want to say death matches too, but that's taking it too far. But if you want to do like a hardcore type match, these two did it perfectly. And again, going back to storytelling, that was the thing here. Sammy Callahan on, on the independence and since he joined impact, he's been touted as just this sick individual who will go to any length possible to make your life a living hell. So what the, the story was here was he screwed with the wrong guy, the one man who could get sicker than he could, which is Pentagon Jr. And I've watched Pentagon from his debut in Lucha Underground. I caught his stuff down in Mexico with AAA. He recently debuted with C. But that's what Pentagon is. You don't push his buttons. And when you push his buttons, he's going to take it to another level. Yes. And that's what Sammy did here. And Sammy was being just as violent as he could be in that match. And then we had the spot where he – he pulled out the railroad spikes, for example. Got everyone riled up. Used the railroad spikes on Pentagon. And we had blood. Pentagon we had got color. The railroad spikes. We had some color, Jack. Oh, yeah. We had, yeah, Pentagon. He opened up Pentagon's mask slightly, took the railroad spikes, dug him in, and got the color. Well, when Pentagon got his hands on the spikes, he said, okay, watch this. And he took the spikes, took Sammy's baseball bat, and started driving the spike into his head. As if to, it, it was a, a, a situation of when it comes to violence, anything you can do, I can do better. <laughs> and that's what that's what led the Pentagon getting the win. And like I said, not match of the year type candidate. It won't go that far. But as far as like a bloody street fight, which that's what fans are looking for. That those two did it about as well as you can do it, especially in 2018. Oh, yeah. Adam, well, I wanted to ask, I think I wanted to hold on one second, Adam. You know how I always say I don't want people to go. The opposite way, like, I'm never like, man, I can't wait for Kenny Omega to get in WWE for them to butcher his storylines. I actually will break that rule, Adam. Tell me if you agree or disagree that I love Pentagon Jr. so much that I want to see him in NXT. I want to see that flavor added to that recipe. Pentagon and Phoenix. I, that's kind of what I was about to say is while the storyline storytelling and booking may be better, which what Jack is saying, it sounds like it, it is. It should not be lost that it's the names they've brought into the company that maybe are not contractually theirs, let's say, that are really putting forth much of this. I mean, they did sign Austin Aries. Good for them. They made him champion. You know, that's been a big signing, and I think that's gone over really well. But Pentagon, Phoenix, guys like that coming in, that they made Pentagon champion for like a day or, or a week or whatever. That, like, we saw them, BC, at that event. I forgot what it was called. Head of WrestleMania. I had never seen or really known much about him or Phoenix before. We saw Brian Cage there. Didn't really know much about him. And we think we're dis- we thought we were kind of discovering these guys. Yo, this guy's going to be something big. And then all of a sudden, guess what? These guys are massive, and they- but they already were. And we didn't know that. So we were impressed um, unbi- you know, from an unbiased perspective of what these guys bring. And what Impact has done is scooped them up in some way and allowed them to play big roles on their show. So I think it's the booking and, and the storytelling, but it's also the talent. And I mean, if you guys are big Pentagon fans, and maybe the listeners out there don't know this, if you want to find a really good Pentagon match, you know, one of the best matches he had was actually with Kyrie Sane. Really? On Lucha, on a, before Kyrie signed with WWE, she signed on to do an episode of Lucha Underground, and she had a match with Pentagon. Pentagon even, I think, 
I don't know if he admitted this on Stone Cold's podcast or somewhere else, but he said that was one of the most fun matches. He's, and it is a really good match. I mean, if you're into intergender wrestling, which I know a lot of people aren't, but it was a really good match by those two. I think the work rate would be higher than a James Wellsworth intergender match. So I think that would work. Hey, speaking of genders here, Jack, we, you mentioned Tessa Blanchard defeated Allie, and I saw the highlights there, and she looked fantastic, as she always does. Sue Young defended her knockout championship against mm-hmm. Madison Rain. I want to ask you a more general question, because I don't really know this myself, even though I, I sometimes tease Impact and watch a little bit what's going on. Do they present their women's wrestling now under this new new uh, ownership, if you will, the way that we want WWE to, that they do on NXT, but that they don't always do on the main roster? It's real. They have so they have some work to do there. I'll admit, like while we'll, you know, I I was brought on here to because I was praising Slammiversary so much. The Knockouts Championship match with Sue Young and Madison Rain was probably by far the worst match on the card. Uh, Madison Rain just doesn't have what she used to have anymore. And admittedly, you know, I won't praise that. I don't get. I, I get Sue Young's character. I just don't like it this undead zombie princess. <laughs> yeah, not my thing. I, I'm not I'm not a fan of it, and her work in the ring, not a, not really a fan of that either. Like, if it's me, I admit, like, they're, again, they're, they're going in, in the right direction. I, I don't, and Tessa, I think, will eventually, I'm definitely by 2019, she'll be the center point of that division since they signed her to a multi-year deal. But no, they have some work to do because don't forget, there was a time where Impact was the one touted as the company doing the most with the oh, women. Yeah. And they really were when they had Gail Kim and Awesome Khan and those. I mean, they even had, um, oh, I can't think of her name. Velvet off the top Sky? Of my head now. You had some Velvet Sky in there for a while. Well, I see, Bell, I'm not the bit, but even the beautiful people, like their gimmick, which WWE, you know, for lack of, they ripped off with um, Lay Cool, Michelle McCool and Layla. You, you can't convince me otherwise. That was a blatant ripoff of the beautiful people. I know you won't say that to but it was, uh, I know if you see Taker, you won't say that to his face. Friend, did you see the Oh, God. Hell, though. I saw him that um, um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If you saw the Undertaker, you would not say that to his face. But uh, that's fair. So, but look, overall, what we saw at Slammiversary, like this is their Super Bowl. This is their WrestleMania. So this is the very best that it is. But as long as we're telling people on the show that, hey, it might be something you want to check out on Thursday nights. Then look at just add something extra to the conversation. And that's good right now, especially considering how many people outside of WWE are doing things worth watching. What about this main event? Austin Aries defending the impact world championship against Moose. Did it hold up to, to close the show? So to speak. It did. It, it did actually. And again, I don't want to keep harping on it, but this, like the storytelling, they really push the issue of this being the first time Moose was challenging for a world championship. They, they were pushing it on commentary. Moose even cut a promo beforehand about how long he's been waiting to, for an, at an opportunity to be a world champion. You know, I played in the NFL, but he, all he really wanted was this. And here he's going up against this seasoned veteran in Austin Aries. And even in Aries' promo, he kind of, he kind of touted the, um, you know, I'm the veteran. I have the experience. I don't care how big you are. I don't care if you play in the NFL, you're not going to beat me. And for the most, for most of the match, Moose dominated them. They really played up that like Moose was manhandling them. There were a few times in the match where Aries would hit a move and Moose would just pop right up. And just audibly, the one time he he said to Aries, he said, "If that's all you got, it's going to be a long night for you." And Aries just got kind of scared. But then right at the end of the match, it was logical. You know, they were on the outside brawling. 
and Aries hit a low blow. He hit a brain buster on the outside on the floor to Moose. And when they got back in the ring, he hit another one for the one, two, three. I was afraid Moose was going to kick out after that second one in the ring, but no, he didn't. It was one, two, three. And basically the heel veteran got the best of the guy who was getting his first world championship match, which, you know, logically it makes sense. And as far as a match, like I, again, I've watched Moose since his debut in ring of honor. That was probably the best I've ever seen him in a one-on-one setting. And Aries, I don't mind him being the champion right now, but maybe a lot of people disagree with me. I don't think he's the face that they're looking for. Eventually they're going to have to find somebody else to get that world championship on. Yeah. He seems to be a name placeholder, but he's living up. I mean, like I say this all the time. He had a lot more to give to WWE when they let him go, especially on the mic. Are you kidding me as a broadcaster or manager? Well, he asked for his release. They didn't let him go. Well, it was one of those where they had nothing yeah, for he, him. They had nothing for him, so they essentially said, I, I, just, I, I just never, I was never a fan of even Aries' two Ring of Honor world title runs. Uh, neither of them. Well, the first one they did too early. I don't know how many people remember that. I was, they pulled the trigger way too early, and the second one was mine. And now we're at a point where he went to WWE, did, like I said, asked for his release. Um, then he goes to Impact. They slap the world championship now, on him. Wait, he like, didn't ask it, for his release, it, it, guys. He, I heard him on that podcast. I think it was, uh, was it Jericho or Jim Ross? They told him, we have nothing for you, so you're gone. He, not, he did not ask for his release. He stayed quiet after, after he got let go until the non-compete was over so he could heal his injury at the PC. And then he came out on podcast and told everybody, they let me go. So that's their, that's their loss, but they just probably thought. Here's a secret, secret conspiracy theory. Guys, tell me if I'm crazy, right? He was dating. He was dating Zelina Vega in real life. <laughs> They're now broken up. Did Vince yeah. want the Vega and, and Paul want the Vega and uh, Almas thing to, to really, really, really work? So they thought, oh, let's get rid of the other guy. Let's get rid of the boyfriend. Yeah, but on the same token, can we admit how awkward it was when, uh, when Andrade and Zelina got called up and Austin went on Twitter and said, congratulations to my ex-girlfriend on her call up? Yes, big time awkward. That was sort of the fuel of me <laughs> saying that. Yeah, interesting. Uh, well, that was, you know, hey, something good there out of Slammiversary, something good there out of Impact. I can't hate on that. So, Jack, I want to talk G1 real quick, but I also want to say, and I'll hear your guys' take, I'm, I'm, I was caught up last week's show, not caught up this week's show. Life got in the way, job, dad, husband, all that stuff, lawn mowing. I'm really far behind. I've picked and pecked. Everything I see is gold. Toriano rallying to pin Kota Ibushi. Everything I see is absolute gold. Are you guys caught up? Where are you guys at? Uh, I'm two. So we're taping this on Monday, the 23rd. I am two episodes behind. So I did not see the 21st or the 22nd, uh, simply because I also cover golf for CBSSports.com, and the British Open starts at 3 a.m. every morning. So I was unable to to handle both at the same time, but I'm anticipating – uh, by the time that this show wraps up on Wednesday, being completely caught up. And I'm uh, I'm up to the 19th to the 19th show, the one where um, <clears throat> Omega pinned uh, Goto. You know that's a five star match per Dave. I haven't seen that one. I'm behind on that one. Is that that Dave is tossing? I mean, that's a great match. Dave's just tossing out too many five stars. I mean, at some point, <laughs> come on, let's 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 haul it in a little bit, rein it back. All right, well, one of our listeners has been watching, and he is ready. Jer- at Jeremy Tanlin 
slides in with a DM that says, BC, keep fighting the good fight and keep spreading the word about the revolution. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jeremy Tamlin. This is a guy with good taste that understands where wrestling's going. He says, I love NJPW, but when I hear you and handsome Nick mark out, it's great. This is wrestling. He says, did you see Zack Sabre versus Sonata's G1 match? That's the story and the wrestling I want. Not safe, predictable, or underwhelming. Keep calling out Silver King, says Jeremy Tanlon. Keep speaking the good word. And like Kenny, hashtag change the world. Wow. Uh, Jeremy Tanlon firing darts at Silver King. How about you guys shut the F up and let me talk for a minute, okay? Uh, you going to take that? You going to take that, SK? No, I'm not, because when's he heard Nick mark out about NJPW? I'm on the show every week. Oh, I, wow. I'm marking out about NJPW. Nick's not on. Right. So, so what's he hearing? Is this guy, are there voices in his head? Oh, what was he, Randy Orton? So here's what I'm saying on that. Uh, I watched it, Jeremy Tanlin. That was a damn good match. Did either of you see Sabre Sonata? I won't spoil it if you have it. Did either of you seen it? No, it's, we told you when we watched up to. All right. No. It's a great, it's a great match. Of course, wrestled in Zack Sabre style with a great finish. Guys, the whole point, every single match, unless it involves Makabe. Or Yoshi, uh, what's my my guy's name? Yoshihashi. Yeah, I can't handle Yoshihashi. He's horrific. I can't stand Yoshihashi. I, I, I love that we all are. I can't stand him. Any match besides those two is fan friggin' tastic. Jack, last week, Adam and I just went nuts on the people that we thought are, you know, improved from last year that are potentially trying to steal the show. Yano being one of those. What have you, what are your early impressions of, of uh, you know, all the way to who you think are coming out of each block? What have you seen out there? Well, I, I, I like I, I like the story of it because the G one every year you, you always you always get these and there's always more than one you get these multiple stories that they're trying to tell and from day one I loved how they they said that Yano proclaimed that he's not going to cheat everything is going to be right down the middle and then this dude is going out there putting on great matches with like the Zack Saber Juniors of the world which is a complete 180 from what we usually get from Yano. Yeah, so I, I like that. But um, Sabre so far has been made to look out like a star, which, you know, New Japan has been, you know, just steadily making him look into a major, turn into a major player. You know, since, ever since they signed him to that exclusive contract, we knew they had big plans for him. Where, wait, um, wait, I want to stop you right there. And I want to put the pressure on you, Adam. Where would Zack Sabre Jr. be right now if he had signed coming out of the Cruiserweight Classic like TJP and everybody else did? Where would he be right now in WWE? 205 Live tag team with um, Drew Gulak, let's say. Yeah. Well well played, Zach. Back to you, Jack. No, I, I definitely agree with that. Like, I think I think Zach made the right decision. Um, same thing with Abushi when he didn't sign. But he doesn't sign with anyone. He hates contracts. Uh, Abushi, too. Again, like you know, when, when Kota Abushi is on the screen, he's just one of those guys that just resonates with you. And it doesn't it doesn't matter win or lose how long the match is like he's he's a guy when he's on TV like you just have to watch him. You think he signs a life contract? Um, you said he doesn't stick with contracts. Does he sign a life contract with Omega or, or is Kenny have to worry about that? Hmm. <laughs> I don't. I mean, it's just I've never seen a guy in wrestling who just will not. He refuses to sign with anyone. I remember hearing he even told Triple H he's like, no offense, it's just I don't sign with anybody. It's not you. It's not Japan. I don't sign. I think WWE, if I recall correctly, was going to have him win the Cruiserweight Classic. Yeah. If not for that, he refused to sign. 
But I think his he I think he's independently wealthy, his family. So I just don't think it's a it's a concern for him. That's what we need, guys. We need independent wealth. We just need to call our own shots, right? Yeah, but definitely my fa- my favorite part so far has been um, definitely like the story they've been telling with Yano because he's a guy that it was getting to the point even with his gimmick where when he was on screen you knew it was either a throwaway match or you weren't going to really get anything like he, even to like to me his comedy shtick was getting old. So seeing this kind of the, the switch was really cool for me. But here, you know, I don't want to come on and be this power of positivity guy. You know what negatively has stood out to me so far? The main story going in the G1 Classic. This Tongan Bullet Club versus Kenny's Bullet Club don't is not going to work. What? 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 It's not resonating with. It's not resonating with me. They, they've just over the years. I think this. This is just my belief. They have done very little to make Tamatanga. Fale and Tonga Loa seem like that big a deal that they can challenge these guys. Like when Kenny beat up AJ, it, they struck while the iron was hot when Kenny took over Bullet Club and AJ was on the way out because Kenny was just coming. It's been too long and they've been too far in the back for me to lie, just sit there and believe that they're any threat they're to the Bullet Club. me the feel. Was, I don't they know. They really turned that into a main story going to this tournament. And as I've been watching, I've been like, I just, I don't care all that much, as much as I thought I was going to coming out of San Francisco. I disagree with this take, but I love that someone else is willing to criticize NJPW because they're not perfect, PC. Right, I got criticism for you right now. You know what they're screwing up? By the way, Jack, I hope you're wrong. I haven't felt what you just said yet because I love that. I mean, when Kenny's promo after the the match against Tama was fantastic about how it's ruining his uh, his star run that he'd been on for, in the Dave Meltzer system of five-star, five-star in that DQ. But I'll tell you this. You know what's not working? Kazuchika Okada in, in red hair and acting like a weirdo. It's not no. working. It's not working, guys. I'm you're, sorry. Well, you're, you're... No. You know what I've, I've heard from a lot of people, and like I, I at first I thought it was good. It was, um, you know, you know, obviously the guy after 720 days, he loses the IWGP Championship. You know, so like the story in in theory, it's like, oh, this guy never thought this was going to happen, then he loses it, and now he's losing his mind, which I thought was, oh, okay. But then I, I and I forget who told me this. They go, oh, so it's kind of like broken Matt Hardy. And I said, uh, oh, no. I mean, not the same, but it's the same theory almost. Because, you know, Matt oh. Hardy, the last tag team championships, started breaking, lo- losing his mind. Same thing's happening to Okada. He's changing his hair. He's changing his look. I mean, the similarities oh. are there. I don't agree with that. I just think he's being carefree. I think it's, it's the weight has been lifted. I said this last week. The weight's been lifted off his shoulders is the storyline. Not that he's breaking as a person or as a wrestler. It's just he was under such immense scrutiny and stress for a long period of time that now that it's been lifted off, he's now able to relax. So you're seeing the relaxed hair, the red, the balloons. He's having fun. I don't think it's a a broken situation, but I do think it's similar in that it's a mindset that he's going to need to rebound from in order to become the champion that he once was. I think that, again, I disagree with the take, but I like that someone else is willing to criticize NJP. Maybe that's what happened to Ginger Mahal when he turned into uh, Pedro Serrano from Major League Two and became all, like, you know, lame. But, but look, Gato's been pitching a perfect game, essentially, as a booker since, like, January of 2017, maybe even before that. This is one that's got me on the ropes. All right, Jack, to close here on G1, who do you got coming out of each block? As, as we're a couple days, you know, we're, we're a week and a half into the, uh, into the damn thing. Who are you feeling right now? 
Because you know it's Kota Ibushi on one side, and it's going to be fantastic when he faces off with Kenny at Wrestle Kingdom. And then, like, uh, there's things that are going to happen inside my pants. And... The mega powers are about to explode in my pants I, right I, I can't. I just Every day I think about this. Every day. So tell me I'm right, please. I mean, I I said Ibushi I said I think I said Ibushi Okada. I think it was my prediction. I think I'll stick with it. All right. All right. Adam, have you changed it all? Did you get any? I, I... Nope. All right. All right. Hey, Jack Jorgensen, Jacko of CBS Sports. You're an editor and you're a writer. Where can they find you? Can they find you anywhere? Do you want to be found? You can find me on Twitter at Jack Jorgensen 14. All right. And then, of course, on CBS. But I do the SmackDown reviews every week. I get the A show. Don't forget. That is that is that is definitely the truth. Hey, why don't you start taking over some of those three-hour Raws? Get this, <laughs> this guy, BC, go back to pick up basketball. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Jack, pleasure to have you, dude. Keep, 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 keep keeping it real. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Hey now, so this has been quite a show, quite an edition of the In This Corner podcast with Brian Campbell, but the one thing we have not done today is actually discuss what went on this week in WWE. So with Brian Campbell out in Vermont celebrating his 40th birthday, yes, Brian is an old man, Uh, I am here, the Silver King, by myself to just kind of wrap up what went down Monday and Tuesday night on Raw and SmackDown, and then really we're going to save the G1, uh, the latest and greatest from New Japan Pro Wrestling, until Brian gets back. And we do hope to have Handsome Nick Costas uh, on this program at some point over the next week or two. But Monday and Tuesday were big days for WWE, and it really all started off with the announcement of what is the first WWE all-women's pay-per-view evolution. And, you know... I think I'm going to kind of go away from describing what really happened on these shows to cut down the time, because like I said, this has been a long episode. But let me just say, this should really be the last time that Stephanie McMahon and Triple H need to be in the center of the ring to make some type of grandiose announcement or spectacle of something that surrounds the women. Because right now, we have gone through the gauntlet of first ever Hell in a Cell match, first ever this, first ever that. It's enough at this point. Like, I'm glad that they're promoting it so much. It deserves it. And the steps that WWE has taken uh, for their women's revolution or evolution, whatever you want to call it, they're certainly not lost on me. Brian and I really celebrate that as much as anyone. But it's getting to the point where the constant mentions, the, the callbacks to it, every single segment of the show, particularly the forced ones, they bore, they're borderline patronizing at this point. Like, you have Finn Balor and Chad Gable backstage, and they're just conversing about it, and it's canned, and it's poorly written. Why aren't they sitting talking with Dana Brooke and Titus Worldwide, or a bunch of the women, about how excited they are? Why aren't we seeing the women react to it, talking to each other backstage? Instead, it's the guys kind of feeling the need to put them over. You have Braun Strowman not acting like a monster in the middle of the ring, celebrating the women, and his mixed match tag team partner, Alexa Bliss. It just, it didn't feel right to me. I'm okay with them promoting it through their, those two shows and over-promoting it and hammering it into your head. But there's better ways and more creative ways to do it. And that's where they fell short, in my opinion. Uh, Triple H also, he did not give a complete answer when he was asked, I think it was in an ESPN interview, um, whether this was a direct response to the Greatest Royal Rumble and the controversy that created in Saudi Arabia, but look, it clearly is, especially when WWE is planning to go back there, I believe, in November for another show. So let's not act 
like this would have happened. Had it not been for that, may it have? It's possible. But the way it's happening so quickly and in proximity to their next Saudi Arabia show, I mean, that certainly should not be lost on anyone. And that said, guys and girls, I'm, I'm excited for it still. There's going to be a mix of legends. It seems like we're going to see Tristratus in the ring again. Lita's going to make an appearance. Um, there's going to be plenty of NXT people there. The finals of the May Young Classic. They're announcing 50 women total for the show. So that's going to be fantastic. I was asked right before I came on the air here who should headline that show. And if it was me, I would go with someone from the SmackDown brand. You're going to have Charlotte Flair returning. Becky Lynch is going to have an opportunity to potentially hold the women's title. We'll talk about that in a little bit. I would probably go with a triple threat match, Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, and Asuka in the main event of the first ever all-women's pay-per-view. I don't know how you go wrong there. You get real wrestling in there um, as opposed to doing something like Rousey Alexa Bliss, which Rousey's still new. She shouldn't necessarily be the forefront of the women's revolution just yet. And Bliss, we all know, not the best worker that they have. But we'll move off of the Evolution pay-per-view into the other big story from Monday night, which was Roman Reigns beating Bobby Lashley in the number one contenders match to get another opportunity of Brock Lesnar's universal title. We knew this was coming. Uh, Brian and I discussed this last week, as you guys know. And I have no issue with Reigns winning because it's expected at this point. I mean, we knew this was going to happen, so it's fine. Uh, What I was pleased to see was they put on another really good match. And you guys can be against Reigns all you want and be sick of seeing him. But two matches now, uh, first at Extreme Rules and now here on Raw, very good, very entertaining, and in both, Reigns got over a little bit as a face, which was nice to see, and he also delivered a quality promo earlier in the show that allowed him to go off the cuff a little bit and act heel-ish, or badass-ish is probably a better word, but it worked for him. Um, the one issue here is it's another instance of Reigns needing to beat a beastly type of guy in order to get a shot at Lesnar. He's already done it with the Big Show and Braun Strowman. Now it's Lashley getting basically sacrificed here. Um, and as far as what happens next for Lashley, it kind of looks like they might be going with an an Elias feud. He interrupted him on the stage. Elias seemed to be particularly upset at that. Uh, so maybe they go in that direction for SummerSlam, although that's not necessarily a match or a feud that does much of anything for me. As far as any key takeaways here, I've been saying it for weeks. You guys know Reigns has to beat Lesnar clean at SummerSlam. It has to end. Just I I don't want this to be a storyline any longer in WWE. I don't want Strowman to cash in. I don't want someone else to cash in. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, I want it definitive over. Reigns has pinned Lesnar. Let's move on. If they want to have a cash in after the match or Monday night on Raw, I'm totally fine with it. Get some controversy in there. Get people talking. Maybe Roman doesn't get the opportunity to sit in the sun with the title. But he needs to beat Lesnar for the title. And they got to end this thing. Uh, One other big thing that really happened Monday night on Raw was Seth Rollins earning another Intercontinental title match by pinning Dolph Ziggler in what was a tag team match, Rollins and Balor against Ziggler and Drew McIntyre. He hit the curb stomp, pinned him one, two, three clean in the middle of the ring and came back and said that Angle gave him another Intercontinental title match. What was really interesting, and again, it's WWE leaving things off of TV that they do way better online, is Rollins had an interview uh, that was posted on social media, including Twitter. And he basically came forward and say and said he's not scared of Ziggler. He's not worried about him. The person he's worried about is Drew McIntyre, obviously because of the interference at the Iron Man match and everything else that's transpired with McIntyre. To me, this is setting up a clear return of Dean Ambrose uh, at SummerSlam in Rollins' corner. My assumption, it's going to go something either like 
Ambrose saves Rollins on the go-home edition of Raw right before SummerSlam, or Ziggler comes out with McIntyre, Rollins comes out, and then introduces Ambrose to stand in his corner and have his back. Whether that results in an Ambrose heel turn remains to be seen. But there's a reason they have completely kept him off TV and not mentioned his name at all, and no one is really talking about Dean Ambrose here. And I have to think that he factors in to this match one way or another. So that, to me, was an interesting development that, again, happened on social media and not on TV. A concern for me. Moving over to SmackDown on Tuesday night, Samoa Joe became the number one contender to AJ Styles' WWE Championship. And I think we all know this is the right choice. It makes the most sense. And if you're going to have Styles lose the title and it wasn't going to be to Nakamura, Joe's really the guy. And the fans are reacting incredibly to him. They're not just chanting his name. They love his promos. They're captivated by his presence. The problem is Joe hasn't really been on TV recently. And his last two matches were beating R-Truth this week, Ty Dillinger the week before. And the week prior to that, he attacked Ty Dillinger before the show began. And we never even really got to see it. So Samoa Joe, who's been completely absent from WWE TV, is now suddenly the number one contender for the WWE Championship. That is the logic problem, obviously, and the way that they ran that segment with James Ellsworth interrupting Paige, then getting fired, and then Joe attacking AJ, there hasn't really been an explanation for why Joe is getting this opportunity. So to me, that's weird, and as great of a kayfabe GM as Paige is, uh, on a week-to-week basis, by the way, and even in between, you know, cutting some promos on Twitter, announcing matches, doing things like that. She's been doing a fantastic job. Logic apps like that don't necessarily work for me. So I do help. I do hope that they close that loop uh, next Tuesday on SmackDown. And now that we've kind of gone through the main headlines, I'm just going to run off a couple bullet points from those two shows before we wrap up here. Um, we saw the continuation of the Miz-Daniel Bryan feud on Tuesday. Once again, tremendous work by the Miz on the mic. Um, trashing Brian and trying to promote his show. And then a great job by Brian again, reacting physically to it, beating up the two bouncers, attack, uh, you know, feigning like he was going to attack Miz. Obviously catches the fake baby, gets kicked, skull-crushing finale from the Miz. They're doing a really good job building this, and they're doing a good job building it quickly despite having a couple of Easter eggs that have gone down, you know, in the months following Miz's move over to Tuesday night. Now it's time for them to really get into this deep, with passionate promos from The Miz, passionate promos from Brian, and all of the historic footage that I've been talking about over the last, I don't even know now, six, seven years of how this rivalry has developed. They need to go back to the Talking Smack segments, the NXT stuff, uh, how that rivalry and how that this feud has truly developed over an extended period of time. That is how they need to sell this match. It should be bigger than it feels right now as part of SmackDown. Also on Tuesday... Uh, Randy Orton opened the show with one of the best WWE promos I think that we have heard in a long time. And I love the character arc of him being the legend killer and now claiming that fans are trying to kill his legend. That's really smart. And it makes sense for the attack on Jeff Hardy because they're cheering this guy who comes in and you know left the company for a long period of time while Orton was always there. He's angry and upset about that. It just works. It... it It's a little nonsensical because Orton gets massive reactions, sells tons of merch, and people love him. So it's not like they turned on him at any point prior. But if you're going to turn him heel, not every single little reasoning of a heel needs to make sense. And for that reason, I think this is working great. And a lot of people actually tweeted me. I think three different people tweeted me that the promo that Orton dropped is what Reigns should be doing on the mic. And yeah, you're you're all right. I mean, 
We know that to be true. The problem is Reigns is trying to be a badass face and not a heel. And what Orton cut was a true heel promo. Uh, when we move on Tuesday night, we also saw Becky Lynch. She's now poised for a title match against Carmella uh, coming up at SummerSlam after beating her clean one-on-one in the ring after Ellsworth got fired. So there was no further interference. I mean, this is the right development. They've been building Becky. It's been a little quick, actually. I think she's only had four or five clean singles wins in a row on SmackDown. Uh, but they're definitely positioning her positioning her to be a true number one contender for Carmella. You can say what you want about Carmella's matches against Asuka and how this entire thing has transpired since WrestleMania. I definitely would have booked it differently. But if we get Becky beating Carmella clean at SummerSlam and becoming the new women's champion... There's not much to complain about. Uh, Charlotte Flair is expected to return to WWE TV next Tuesday night on SmackDown. That gets her back in the mix. And as I said earlier, when we we're talking about the Women's Evolution pay-per-view, what I would love to see is the Charlotte Flair-Becky Lynch feud or match as the headliner for that Evolution pay-per-view. I think this puts that in motion. You have Becky win the title at SummerSlam. You have Carmella get a rematch and lose. And you build from there with Charlotte. So I think they're definitely going... In the right direction. We also saw uh, Andrade Cien Almas getting a clean win over Rusev and the continuation of the Rusev Day split up. It's working. I mean, Lana uh, slapping Aiden English and them getting into it backstage with Rusev being tired of both really worked. The only thing that was strange is Rusev was a heel against AJ Styles. He then is put in a face roll against Andrade Cien Almas to start the show and then seemed to be a heel, you know, at the end because obviously Aiden English is going to get the face cheers. So they're treating him Big Show Nia Jax-esque, where any given week, whatever role they want him to play is what they decide to do with him. I wish they were a little bit more consistent with Rusev. Uh, and like I said, we're doing bullet points, so moving back to Monday night. Uh, I, I'm enjoying this continued Braun Strowman-Kevin Owens rivalry. I liked Owens' promo. It made a lot of sense. And the briefcase being on the line as a stipulation enacted by Stephanie McMahon is great. And let's be honest, a change should happen. Braun Strowman never needed the briefcase in the first place. At any time, he has a claim that he deserves a title match against Lesnar, Reigns, Lashley, anyone who holds the championship. Strowman should get an opportunity without a briefcase, without needing to cash it in in some way. And Owens potentially winning it for him from him at SummerSlam and cashing in on Lesnar or Reigns, it's pretty great. Uh, and then you have the ability for Strowman to beat Owens. Let's say Owens beats Strowman for the briefcase wins the title. You can have Strowman take it off Owens instead of Strowman taking it off Reigns. And then now maybe you're building Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns for WrestleMania 35. So there's a lot of different ways they can go with it. I like what they're doing over there. We also saw a minor heel turn from the Deleters of Worlds attacking the B team after another tag team title defense or the tag team title defense by the B team. Just not doing anything for me. Uh, I'm not really sure where they're going with it. We will find out next week. And Sasha Banks and Bailey. Got a squash match win over a couple of Job Hairs, and I say that uh, just because, really, that's what they were, um, and really hugged. They, so Sasha and Bailey were feuding. Then Sasha said that she loved her last week, although we didn't get clarity whether that's as a friend, romantically, whatever. And now they said they had a nice long talk over the last week. They're best friends again. They hugged for like a minute straight following their match, and I really don't know what they're doing anymore. Uh, Stephanie's come out and says she was interviewed by Sky Sports. Stephanie McMahon, she said the women's tag team titles, she's heard that the universe wants it and that fans want it and the wrestlers want it. They're not anticipating having them by the Evolution pay-per-view. 
So if they're not going to have them, I don't know what they're doing as a tag team unless they're going to feign them getting back together and have Sasha or Bailey turn in the next week or two in a major way and set up a match at SummerSlam. That's still my hope. I want to see them fight in Brooklyn. I think the crowd would go nuts. It's the way to go. Moving on on Monday night, uh, Titus Worldwide and Authors of Pain had a dreadful segment in the ring that I actually thought was one of Apollo Crews' best promos, but Authors of Pain on the mic, they're awful. There's a reason Paul Ellering was in that managerial role, and him not being there anymore, it's it's just bad. They've taken a team that should have come in on fire and run the gauntlet and won the titles, and they're just in this mediocre spot feuding with Titus Worldwide and unable to put themselves over. It really doesn't make sense. You see Sanity on SmackDown doing a pretty good job without Nikki Cross. I would still like her to be over there. And by the way, you did see her in the open opening segment on Raw on stage with all the women. Nikki Cross is standing there. Fans went nuts, and they still don't bring her back Tuesday on SmackDown. Anyway, uh, I, I diverted what I was saying there. Point is, Sanity's working, and they brought AOP up at the same time. There was no reason for them to pull Paul Ellering off that tag team. And really wrapping up Monday night and wrapping up on the shows this week, Finn Balor on Monday. You guys know I always pay a little extra attention to him. They're ruining this guy, and it just doesn't make sense. He's so over. The fans react massively to him. Every time they see him in the ring, he's incredible. He's exciting. He's decent on the mic. He doesn't have to be this smiling, dumb baby face, but he is. They have him in that awful backstage, backstage segment with Chad Gable talking about the women's revolution. Again, not bad in theory. The way they spoke about it just was terrible. They have Baron Corbin basically get, getting him in a funhouse because of his size again. I thought that feud was over. I don't know why they're continuing it when Balor beat him clean. Fine. Uh, this guy is the longest reigning NXT champion in company history and the first universal champion. And we can't get him in an intercontinental title feud. It just doesn't make sense. I don't know how they went from thinking this guy could be the main event on Raw to him being injured accidentally in the match that he won the title, which was a great match, and now him being a third-rate superstar on the product. I don't know where we're going with him. Maybe we do get Rollins versus McIntyre at SummerSlam, but even if we do, that's going to be a loaded card. They're talking maybe a pre-show match. Um, I'm not okay with that. So I just don't know what they're doing with him. And really wrapping up this week, a couple quick news items. Uh, One, Cain Velasquez, a former UFC champion, was at the WWE Performance Center, which is just simply incredible. Um, I don't know where that's going. It seemed to be more of an exploratory, hey, I'm in Orlando, let me check this out and and do some moves and see if I like it. But, I mean, look, I was talking to some of our MMA writers and analysts, and I talked to Brian. You know, Cain Velasquez is the real deal and may not be a good guy on the mic. You can work around that. But in terms of picking up wrestling and potentially being someone that WWE has something in, That's a huge name, and that, I mean, that could be something really cool. But again, it doesn't seem to be going anywhere right now. It was cool to see him there, see those pictures coming out of WWE. And the biggest individual news item, really, coming out of the week is that Matt Riddle has pulled himself off of a ton of independent events with his last booked indie show being the night before NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 4, Dave Meltzer Wrestling Observer Newsletter. I believe he said this on his radio show. Um, or his podcast, whatever you want to call it. I believe he said that NJPW and WWE both reached out to him recently, him being Matt Riddle, and it seems like he has chosen WWE. So I would not be surprised if we see Matt Riddle uh, making an appearance at NXT TakeOver Brooklyn, I think it's four, uh, in the crowd. 
and that possibly being his introduction into the company. And I think fans uh, should be excited about this no matter what. I understand the people that might be in Brian's camp. Oh, he'd be so much better off in NJPW. I mean, maybe, yeah, there's the potential for more freedom there. But getting Matt Riddle into WWE allows this company to get a star, a true star from the independent scene that they can build into something, potentially a main eventer, uh, really from the ground up. Because while this guy has experience and he's done great things, he's had incredible matches on the indies. I just recently saw one with Will Ospreay that I thought was absolutely amazing. Um, Getting him into the WWE machine at this age and this point in his career, they could really develop him into something special. Uh, I've listened to some of his promos. It's okay. I think he can get it done, but a manager or a mouthpiece would really do him well, you know, also. So I think there's some things really going down with Matt Riddle. Um, and that is something that fans should be looking out for over the next four to five weeks, just more information confirming it potentially, and just hoping to see an announcement or his debut at NXT takeover Brooklyn four. And that's really all I have this Monday, uh, Raw is coming to Miami, Florida, so it's directly in my neck of the woods, but wouldn't you know it, I have a work engagement. So I am not going to be at the one time each year that Raw uh, comes into my area, and it just so happens it's going to be the return of Brock Lesnar and the return of my girl, Ronda Rousey. So you know the show is going to be great. I'm, I'm going to be kicking myself watching it on DVR, uh, unable to watch it live. Aside from that, folks, This was a jam-packed edition of In This Corner. Uh, Thank you for listening to my spiel here at the end. I wanted to make sure that you guys were caught up on the week that was in WWE. Again, we will talk NJPW G1 next week when Brian returns. I hope to have Nick on this podcast again coming up shortly. Don't forget, follow us on Twitter at In This Corner CBS. You can follow me at Silverstein. That's E-I-N, Adam. Uh, Also at B. Campbell CBS, of course. Thanks to Stack Guy Greg at Stack Guy Greg on Twitter. And at Jack Jorgensen14, he's one of our editors here at CBS Sports, for joining the show this week just to give you a little different taste of what's going on in the world. Thought we had a great Bret Hart discussion to start this show. I hope you guys enjoyed that and could laugh along with it a little bit. Uh, But aside from that, you guys know what to do. Hit iTunes, give us that five-star review, and don't forget to listen to us and tell your friends to listen to us wherever they find their podcast. So for Brian Campbell, I am the Silver King. Adam Silverstein, and I got two words for you. We out. <laughs>